Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School, where drawing, painting, and sculpture are studied in depth, debated energetically, and created with passion. The New York Studio School offers a range of programs, including the MFA, their certificate program, the marathon program, evening and weekend classes, and a distinguished lecture series that's free and open to the public. The school's internationally recognized marathons are two-week intensive courses designed to build momentum and expand one's creative boundaries. The school welcomes participants for the fall 2019 marathons in drawing and sculpture, which begins September 3rd. Apply online today at nyss.org. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Baron Arts. Baron Arts is a Brooklyn-based designer and builder of the best stretcher frames, art panels, and floater frames in New York and the U.S. They have many styles and options, from standard strainers to mechanical expansion stretchers to fully custom shapes determined by each client. They also stretch the finest canvases and linens to your exact specifications and can even crate and ship your order or your finished paintings anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. Baron Arts has almost 30 years' experience building custom structures for artists like Elizabeth Murray, Sean Scully, Kahinde Wiley, Joan Snyder, Catherine Bernhardt, and thousands of others. I have a show opening next month at Miles McHenry and made a large diptych for it. They had to match perfectly and Baron Arts did the job to perfection. From custom to standard, big projects and small, they remain the most reasonably priced custom shop around, and they take great pride in offering the finest work at affordable prices for the entire artist community. Your artwork should be on the finest structures available, built by Baron Arts. Find out more at baronarts.com. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is a company based in upstate New York that is committed to making the best artist materials for artists to make work with. I've been using Golden Paints and Mediums for 20 years, and I swear by it. The pigments, the quality, the usability, is that a word? Anyway, the best stuff out there. You can get it in just about every art store and online at goldenpaints.com. If you're listening to this podcast the day it released, which is Thursday, September 5th, my opening for my solo show, High Rises and Double Vision, Images of New York at Miles McHenry Gallery opens tonight at 5.30 to 7.30, so please come by and check it out. The show will be up for one month until October 5th. Adrian K. Wong was raised in the East San Francisco Bay Area and now lives and works in Los Angeles, California. He received his BFA from the Art Institute of Chicago in 2013. His work has been shown at Zavitas Marcus in Los Angeles, the A&D Museum in Los Angeles, the Gene Siskel Film Center in Chicago, Joseph Gross Gallery in LA, Gotham West in New York City, Johansson Gallery in Berlin, Sherl Wagner Art Gallery in Dallas, and many others. His work has been covered in New American Paintings, Friend of the Artist, Art Maze, Relish, It's Nice That, On Art and Aesthetics, and more. Here's Adrian and I talking from his studio in Los Angeles. So are you in the home studio? 
Yeah, I have a home studio. I'm out in Lincoln Heights, which is a neighborhood right outside of downtown Chinatown neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, much more quiet. I spent time in Mid-City, spent time in Koreatown. There's perks to those, but very busy, Just yeah. spe- especially Koreatown. Traffic starts at like three, ends at three with oh, man. the work, and then people come in to eat Korean food, and then people come in to drink. Right. Yeah. So it's you come stop. home. Yeah. It's not <laughs> stop. So it's definitely much more quiet. It kind of tra- here traffic ends probably at three when there's a school across the street. So that's probably the busiest time is two, three. It's crazy, right? The traffic situation. I mean, I'm embarrassed at how little I know about Los Angeles. I mean, I've had like one show there. I've been there a few times, but yeah. I've never really spent a lot of time there. And uh, mm-hmm. I just I have a lot of friends there, but I just haven't. I don't it's definitely know. a driving city. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's measured by traffic, yeah. you know, yeah. which is like yeah. I think about it because I drive a lot in New York City and mm-hmm. I drive into the city a lot, right? And it's so minimal. And people will be like, "Oh, it's really, it's there's a ton of traffic during like rush hour," mm-hmm. but really, it's only like ten minutes of traffic or something. People in LA spend yeah. like half the day in the car. Yep. Yeah. There's definitely, I've definitely avoided the west side, like Santa Monica, Culver City. Once it hits close to like one or two, like traffic is, to get back to my place, it's a good hour and a half and it's only 13 miles. So the, the follow up to the question to that is, mm-hmm. is it just music in the car or is it podcast or is it radio? Definitely podcasts. I've yeah. definitely accepted my defeat, accepted the, uh, the, the place that I'm in. <laughs> But it does a lot. I kind of tell people you just gotta, you know, just accept it, and it's your opportunity to not think about anything, or just listen to audiobook, listen to podcasts. Um, I mean, best to stay off your phone. But sometimes when it's that bumper to bumper traffic, oh yeah, you got you can look at someone's art. Don't you? You, hop, you hop on for a little bit until those, these cars yeah. start going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, I teach in Pennsylvania. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I drive there and back. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I only drive there twice. Like, you know, I drive there once yeah. and then I teach a couple of days and I come back. But, you know, it's like just under four hours. So it's it's actually, wow. I've, I've come to enjoy the quiet time. And, mm. and that's what got me into podcasts. I mean, I, you know, I was doing music for a while, but music's yeah. great. But yeah. it's like the podcasts or like books on tape, they kind of keep your mind more engaged, I think. Yeah. My own naivety comes in. I don't. I've only been in New York twice, and I haven't really spent much time necessarily exploring. Like, of course, I spent most of my time in like Manhattan, Lower East Side area. Yeah. Um, my, I had, a, I just had a solo show earlier this year, and I almost exclusively stayed at LES and Chinatown. It's all you I'm need, pre- really. Yeah. yeah you can I'm, just- a, I'm a pretty big hermit already. So when someone's like, you should go here, you should go here, I was thinking, I'm going to, I'll just stop into the local shops and see what people miss when you avoid those kind of tourist destinations. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can do pretty much through most of the city. I mean, you can do a neighborhood and just have mm-hmm. that be your place for a few days, you know, yeah. or yeah. a week. Like, yeah. Lower East Side's got everything you need, really. Yeah. yeah. It's I definitely great, miss a lot. Great food, mm-hmm. you know, art, and you've got museums. Like, everything's there. 
Yeah. So, I will say, though, last year when I went to New York for the first time, a lot of people were surprised that I'd never been to New York. But I did go to the Samanoguchi Museum. Oh, yeah. By far the b- best place I've ever been to. Did you love it? I loved it. And I think it, it probably was coincidence, but I uh, was one of four people in there. So when I was moving through the rooms, uh, most of the time I was the only one standing in there. Very yeah. surreal. It's crazy. Um, it's always yeah. empty. Yeah. Like every <laughs> time I go there, there's only a couple of people there. I, Underutilized. <laughs> definitely. Everyone's at the Costco across the street getting like 50 yeah. hot dogs. <laughs> that's, what, that's what my friend from New York said. He said, there's only two reasons you go to that neighborhood. That museum and Costco. <laughs> right. It's, it's pretty, you know, north Long Island City. So there's yeah. not that much going on there. But yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. What, was there a special show there? Or was it just permanent collection? No, I just was kind of trying to fill out my own itinerary. And it's, I really wanted to go. And after going there, I found out there is a park somewhere in the OC, like an hour south of the greater Los Angeles, which then led me to, my friends and I are trying to plan this trip to Japan in April, which turns out to be not only the most busy time, but the Olympics are like a a month later. It's going to be crazy, yeah. Yeah. But I really want to try to go to Sapporo to go to that, the, uh, the one park that he never finished before he passed away. That would be cool. Yeah. But it's in Hokkaido, which is a flight in itself. So we'll see if it happens. Yeah, that's far north. Mm -hmm. It gets Mm -hmm. chilly. Well, I guess April would be good, though. Good enough. Yeah, hopefully. We're just hoping a lot. I mean, we're eight months ahead, so I think we're okay. Hopefully, we'll we'll land something. Yeah. I've never been to Hokkaido. I mean, I've gone, you know lots and lots of times but I've never mm-hmm. gone up there but mm-hmm. we, we're we always watching like my family we watch you know like a lot of Japanese TV and mm-hmm. there's always like specials on food up there or, like stuff going mm-hmm. on and we're always like we gotta get up there you know? yeah you see that in the Netflix food show craze too everyone's hitting uh, like Osaka and places that are outside the main focus spotlight of Tokyo yeah I, w- I would say I would say Kyoto is a little bit in the spotlight just because it seems like it's the main like if you want to see more traditional side viewing go to Kyoto yeah definitely I mean Kyoto is so beautiful mm-hmm. it's surreal you know yeah so my wife was originally from Osaka and her mm. family's all kind of like that vibe of people which is like you know foodies <laughs> food is huge there <laughs> right. but right. I'm a vegetarian so it's like lost on me you know uh, like, and it's like a total bummer for the whole family They're like oh this guy <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's enough vegetarian options out there. Do you eat, do you eat fish? I don't. Okay. Like, I'm that kind. I'm not vegan, but I'm not completely crazy. But, right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but to them, I'm a real pain in the butt. Right, because, you right. Know, it's like, yeah. oh, we got to find somewhere where they don't put a ton of fish flakes on the udon. You know? <laughs> but, yeah, we make it work. Yeah. I always thought my, uh, my cousin's girlfriend at the time was vegetarian. I said, you're doing them a favor when you eat ramen because it's meat bones just don't eat the meat and right. you're not you, they won't you won't make pe- them waste the other parts of the, of the, <laughs> right. so you're doing people a favor yeah yeah you're being courteous <laughs> yeah. you're not waste like if they, everyone else eats the meat like you encourage them to use the rest of the <laughs> right. um so well you grew up in uh, san francisco right i i usually tell people san francisco just because people don't really aren't really familiar with the east bay Mm-hmm. It's kind of the farthest end of um, the Bay Area. But I grew up, my parents live in Pleasanton right now. And as the name suggests, it's 
pretty pleasant. Um, but I, I moved around a lot when I was younger. I was born in Dublin, but lived in smaller cities around that end of the East Bay. Some people don't even consider it the Bay Area, but San Francisco was about an either an hour drive or a 45-minute BART ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I would spend time in Oakland. My parents and I, we used to drive up as a family into Oakland or San Francisco to go to their Chinatowns because at the time, uh, the neighborhood I was growing up in was very... Um, it was, a, it was definitely a small city, and I wouldn't say very diverse at the time. Mm-hmm. Though when I've, I've visited recently, and it's I can't even recognize the neighborhood anymore. There's new buildings going up. There's a Starbucks in, in the downtown area. I like usually drive with uh, trying to watch or with like, uh, like, oh, turn right at this building, turn left at this building. But everything's new. I, I don't even know where I am anymore. Yeah. Well, is it? Is it far enough away that I mean, is it kind of its own thing or is it yeah, definitely. almost like a suburb? Yeah, of, it's definitely a trip. Yeah, it's definitely a suburb. Yeah. 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 And your parents got there, like what did they do? Were they creative? No, not at all. <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> they had to have so, something in there, right? Um my my dad was I guess interested in art, but this it would I don't wanna like talk down at all. Sorry, Dad, but it was relatively ele- elementary. Just you, you just draw, you know, self portraits. Uh, kind of limited it to what you would get in the educational system yeah. of of like elementary school, middle school. Um, he barely made it out of high school. But they're both from my dad's from Macau and my mom's from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And when they moved here, my mom essentially was a housewife after they had us, and my dad was worked in software software engineering. <laughs> Well, there's some creativity in that, right? I think he definitely had to be creative in terms of learning how to write code. Yeah. At, at my parents' place, there was a, there's just a big uh, bookshelf filled with books of C++, C++. And I would see him in that magical black box, the run command, and you start typing and all these letters and words come up, and you don't really know what's going on, but he knows what's going on. Throwback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I... I, I don't know if I would I would never characterize him as creative right. but he's definitely expressed um, a passion or some sort of respect for it he plays guitar every once in a while that's cool he's got yeah. some music in there yeah yeah <laughs> did you grow up with music on in the house was it a big part of coming up uh, not really I would say as I got older I think my parents started being more casual with my brother and I, mm-hmm. um, definitely like a pretty strict household, uh, pretty quiet. Just as long as I followed the rules, hopefully I didn't get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so well, how did he end up coming? Like, what brought him over to the Bay Area? Was it just that opportunities with programming yeah, I, that was? Yeah, kind of, that's where you go. I think that was the mindset at the time was that there is some sort of opportunity that the Silicon Valley is starting up. I think a couple family friends were already in the industry and he figured if he could move here and invest, you know, a lot of time and effort, they could start a family and hopefully be well off. I mean, I don't think the Bay Area at the time was as much of a tech bubble as it is now. Right. While it was definitely tech centric to a certain extent, 
um, it was pretty much just the kind of pragmatic decision to move to the to America, yeah. not speaking English. Um, he he would tell us stories of how he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to interact with people he worked with. Luckily, he there was some uh, Chinese coworkers and some Japanese coworkers, so at least they had the understanding that language was something that everyone kind of struggled with when they right. first moved here. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, that's yeah, yeah. It's I'm just not imagine, like yeah. English is so hard. <laughs> yeah. People just like. Yeah. Yeah. Get over and just do it. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I guess like full-on immersion. To, yeah, if we had to learn Arabic, Man, new that's... new pair, uh, new language, new intonations. How how do you like? There's no language um, like system or software back then. You just kind of read books, and even then, it's not really as accurate to the colloquialism of every right. day. You know, yeah. no Rosetta Stone back then. <laughs> it's crazy because like English has so many exceptions to everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, which I can't imagine jumping right in. And a lot of people who immigrate are not doing it when they're like eight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the older you get, the harder it the is. The more difficult it is. It's not easy. You know? yeah. It's impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, when I pa- my parents speak English, I'm still impressed because they can definitely hold conversations. Although they 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 always say like. Oh, my English is so bad. Like, can you just ask this person for me if oh, if yeah. we have to like talk to the waiter? Can you just ask them for me? I'm like, you can speak pretty fluent English. <laughs> right. Were you were you the older brother or younger brother? Yeah. So we're, my brother and I are actually twins. So oh, technically, really? I'm the older brother. Yeah. What by like thirty yeah. seconds or something? <laughs> <laughs> two minutes. Two minutes, which is kind of a long time if you think about it. <laughs> that is that is true. Did yeah. it take though, or do you have like older brother like Mm-mm, just us two? Mm. No, but I mean, to, did the older brotherness take, even oh, though it was yeah. only two minutes? Yeah, definitely. Um, You've got seniority. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a, I think in an Asian family, there's definitely very clear lines, and you are the oldest brother. Like the way that my parents speak to me is, um, they would say like Daiko, which is older brother, or he would mm-hmm. ta- call my younger brother Silo, which is younger brother. Yeah. But it would ne- it would very rarely be our. English names or our full Chinese names, unless we're in deep, deep trouble, then th- we would hear the full. Oh, name. They busted out. And, <laughs> yeah. That's when you know. Yeah, that's when you know to either run downstairs as fast as you can yeah. or be attentive. Yeah. Right. Isn't that funny? Like two minutes and mm-hmm. then you're held to a whole different construct as a human being. Yeah. So I, my brother actually works in the. I'm a terrible sibling that I'm not able to explain this very thoroughly, but. He works in kind of a psychology sector where they deal with mental health in the workplace. But we've kind of talked about this dynamic of twins. And he did say that even for twins, most of the time there is one sibling that takes like an elder, older sibling role. And the younger will take the younger sibling role. There's there's like a weird dynamic even with twins. That's pretty uh, Mm -hmm. great. Well, what happened? I mean... What happened to you? You just ended up being this person who... <laughs> well, my brother was also pretty creative, I would say. He, yeah. he would do photography. He drew a lot. We've always been drawing since we were young, but with no intention, like for myself, I had no intention of moving into like a creative world. I just did it because it was fun. I took art courses in high school because it was honestly an easy A. I just happened to be have that 
kind of draftsman skill set where I would draw kind of a Chuck Close-esque realistic graphite drawing yeah. and I would get A for it and I was like well I just can just keep doing this and I can buffer my GPA with this it was still a very logistical way of thinking about how do I go to college I didn't even know I was actually going to college until my mom told me in sophomore or junior year of high school when people start thinking about it. She said, guess what? You're going. Because <laughs> yeah, my parents didn't go to college. I think there's only one of my aunts in, on my dad's side who went to college, and she was the youngest of seven. And then my other aunt's husband went to MIT. So when it came time to applying for college, I would ask, how do you, what do you write here? How do you fill this out? My parents would be like, I don't you know. figured out. You're on your own. We didn't. Man. We barely came out of high school. <laughs> Not easy, right? Yeah. You got yeah. especially I, as the older brother. Like yeah. I would imagine that in any social situation, you've got to be the one who's like. Yeah, I know. think I asked my brother about academics more, <laughs> even though I was supposed to be the older brother. <laughs> so but you yeah, padded, also, you padded the GPA with yeah, the other classes. Yeah, I was going to go to statistical economics. That was my original choice. Uh, and even then, that was kind of just stats came easy to me in high school. Um, and I, just going through history, science, math, I was like, nope, no, no. This will, I guess, work because it's easy and it comes natural to me. Right. Isn't it crazy? Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of kids, you know, senior year of high school, when you go to college, you're just going with what you're good at. Yeah. You know, or like what other people or teachers are like, you know what? Yeah. Like I started in pre-med because I had an AP bio class and I did really well. And my teacher was adamant. He was like, you've (laughs) got to apply to med schools. Right. You know, and I didn't, it's not like I was saying I want to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And then I got into one and, and then I was first semester. I was like, I don't want to do this. (laughs) (laughs) This is a terrible mistake. (laughs) Yeah. Like what am I doing here? I don't want to, the, the, the sort of charm of being kind of good at it in high school wore off quick. When you're mm-hmm. surrounded by other kids who are like, you know, prodigies and, yeah, you know, just yeah. like scientific, like geniuses yeah. or something. So yeah. I had yeah. to bounce out pretty quick. Yeah. Luckily, I had a teacher who was just as adamant for me to do, to kind of pursue art, which I kind of just took whatever assignments I did in high school, put them together into a portfolio, and I applied to just whatever art school I could remember off the top of my head because I didn't know anything about. Yeah, or art museums were just like, oh, it's the place you go on a school field trip. I didn't know right. there was a galleries or these ranking systems that w- applied to just as much to art schools as they do to like, schools that you would normally go to. Um, so everything was kind of just a shot in the dark, and I guess I got really lucky with all my shots. So you went to Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Well, real quick before we get into that, when you're in high school, you're getting... I mean, were you kind of into a lot of artists, creative people, or people who lean creative into music or into bands, that scene, or skateboarding, or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Right. That fringe stuff, um, or were you pretty... It sounds like your parents had you by the books, like you wanted pretty, to... Pretty by the books, not in the sense based. of like... Yeah, not in the sense of you have to get A's. It was just very much a focus that... You have to try 100%, 150%. And if I ever got a B or a C, they would ask me, well, did you try 
100%. And of course, the answer is, well, technically, I guess I could have tried harder. And he said, well, you should have tried harder to get an A. You right. could have gotten an A. So my, I would say I was listening to music, um, but I was kind of just listening to what my friends listened to. A lot of bands that would show up in Warp Tour, I listened to a lot of like, whatever was hot at the time, punk music, screamo music for a, for a while. Yeah. Um, I started listening to hip-hop when I was in early high school-ish, but I never developed my own musical taste until a good year or two into college when I was kind of forced to find my own identity. I think I was just kind of... Uh, kind of just winging it through most of my life until... Suddenly, I was in Chicago. Suddenly, I have to make this career work. And I said, like, well, I have to either bunker down or I'm probably going to find myself back at home again. I don't have a plan B. Right. Well, Chicago's a great place to find music. Yeah, I'm, I wish I spent more time kind of exploring the city or going to shows at the time. Uh, were, uh, still yeah. with the, we're still with the hermit thing? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, when I, when I started, I remember watching... So there were two very kind of, I guess, life-changing moments was, one was <laughs> we were watching, a, so that at School of Arts Chicago, they have a first-year program where you kind of hit every practice. You do kind of a week in sculpture, you do video media, painting, drawing. I think it was a video, the, the portion of the week was video, and we were watching that plastic bag scene from American Beauty oh yeah and I remember sitting there just looking at everyone around me like what am I doing here I have no idea what's going on like my my gauge for kind of creative success was just photo reels at the time so it took me years to kind of break everything all my preconceptions down and figure out what th- these value systems that exist or even just to find my own style or aesthetic that I was drawn to and the the, the other um, event I guess was my first crit I think it was about a week or two into a drawing class and I had these drawings up um, and the teacher kind of had his arms crossed looking at all of them said so you can draw and I took that as a compliment like oh thank uh, oh thank you and he said so can you do anything else that's interesting it's like, oh, God. Yeah, the crusher. The, yeah. The realization that uh, technical proficiency isn't the only yeah. measure of, like... It's just know. a tool, and yeah. you can either use it, and it really, honestly, it doesn't matter unless that kind of is contributing something to your to your practice. Right. Yeah. And if anything, sometimes if you're leaning on skill, a lot of you're times right. Right. people will feel like it's kind of toolish not mm-hmm. just the tool mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah it's, when did it, is, does it tri- uh, shift from a trade to kind of creating right in quotes I would say yeah yeah it's so funny like to think of that because I have students when I teach who like in the earlier stages where you know they don't realize it but like that technical side of things like a safety net and it's so right. hard for them the ones who are really gifted like for yeah. me I was it was advantageous that I wasn't good at anything so it was easy <laughs> to just <laughs> <laughs> it was easy to just do my own thing because it wasn't like I was leaning on any like crazy skills, you know. Yeah. It's like playing music. It's like I'm not a classical guitarist, so I'm just right. going to play the chords that I want to play. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. your limited abilities mm-hmm. in a way or not being like, you know, 
a genius when it comes yeah. to like technical sides of things. I think that right. could probably be a real hamper to you know to just right. like break yeah. loose. But you there felt- is definitely a, yeah yeah there's definitely a benefit to a little bit of kind of obliviousness that you 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 kind of have to force yourself to work extra hard and to find that next kind of step that you're able to take to bring out whatever it is you need to bring out in your work. Yeah. I was listening to an interview with like Ezra from uh, Vampire Weekend and he was talking mm. about, you know, his limitations in playing what like really helps him creatively. Cause he <laughs> kind of like, you know what I mean? Cause you're yeah. not, yeah. I don't know. There's something about not knowing certain things that frees you up in a way. Yeah. I think it's even if with if someone who has this high level level of proficiency, I think with those types of people, I feel like if you ask them, they'll never admit it. For those who who kind of understand that you should always be reaching for the next, even if it's the next half step, you're you're always reaching is never good enough. Yeah, it's it's yeah. kind of when you you rely on what you already have that you never get to progress in a way. Yeah. Well, do you feel like that? in that crit was kind of like one of those light bulb moments where you're like oh okay I've got to reset the bar here Mm -hmm. and figure figure out what who I am yeah Uh, so I didn't paint until my third year so I spent four years there I brought in some credits but um, so I started painting my third year and on the second semester of that year, they have a program called Advanced Painting, mm-hmm. where whoever graduates in their kind of senior class, those are how many seats that open. And pretty much the entire painting and drawing department applies for it. You have three crits with three different teachers that each are seven minutes long. So you have a seven-minute crit, and you're graded by number. And whoever are kind of ranked at the top get admitted into those open seats. So I got lucky enough where I spent three semesters there. You have your own studio that you share with a classmate. And I feel like the expectation they have is that you already have a certain level of understanding about your own practice where you show up for class, you talk to the teachers for 10 minutes, and then you're on your own. There's no mm-hmm. curriculum. There's no um, paint, uh, solve poetry, paint, you know, have assignments per se. They'll show up into your studio for anywhere from 15 minutes to 30 minutes and then that's your interaction with the teacher and they leave and then you just keep staying there and working on your own practice they're kind of like these people are are you know advanced enough that they just work on the yeah, work we'll yeah. give them input and they're mm-hmm. doing their thing yeah it was and definitely you have, did you have good of, i was gonna say did you have good visiting artists too who were did visiting artists come through for crits yeah, there were some. I wouldn't say there were very many. We had, um, I guess there weren't uh, there weren't too many visiting artists for the advanced painting course, but there were visiting artists who would come and lecture. I actually remember going to a Jonas Wood lecture, like what, like eight years ago, and then now he's super big in LA and right. getting like. Big, I guess internationally now, but it's kind of weird to <laughs> to come to LA seven years later. And, oh, <laughs> right. this is like the first visiting lecture I listened in to yeah. in college. <laughs> so, did you, were you just kind of like a work all day, every day thing? And and what was your work like as you were breaking out yeah. of you know the more conventional mold? Definitely work all day, just because I felt like 
even now I, I feel like I'm playing a catching up game. I think now it might just might be the PTSD from, from college. <laughs> right. But I just always felt like I was behind. People would mention an artist. I would, wouldn't know who that was. I would just write it down. Oh, there's this show at this gallery. I have to write it down. Everything was new information for me. So I just felt like I needed to spend as much time as I could kind of making work so that I could figure out what I'm doing so I can at least I can be in the conversation with my classmates right. who kind of either came from I didn't even know there was like art high schools or uh, high schools that are dedicated to creative practices isn't that crazy so, yeah that was a new thing that when I, when I showed up <laughs> people were way ahead of the curve on yeah, you like, whoa yeah, how did like, you learn all that you guys had this head start I've no, I can't even, I can name like Picasso, Matisse, you know, the heavy hitters. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I just spent all my time in and it wasn't until the last year I, I started going to, you know, a couple of shows in Chicago or started going to gallery openings that were outside of just my classmates saying, oh, uh, this person is showing, you should come and I would just show up. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you kind of dipped in and dipped out without really immersing it? Because Chicago is so provincial. Yeah, yeah. And it's got such a scene of its own. I mean, yeah. you just kind of came in, did your work, and then... Definitely, yeah. I, I have not much familiarity. I would say I worked for a couple artists out there during my, my time in Chicago, and I think that was more educational in what Chicago was like, what was the art scene was like, than being in art school. Yeah. Yeah. So when you graduated, like how different was the work before and after? And can you describe what it was kind of like before and after? It was definitely looser. I think you might get hints of it in my work from 20... The end of 2013 was when I first moved to Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. my it was looser. I was mixing a lot of... Um, either turpinoid or linseed oil into my paint to kind of extend it to do kind of looser strokes that are semi-transparent still representational still figural but not as kind of insanely structured as my work is now right yeah and so I think yeah so I think what how I got to this point um, hindsight I guess is 2020 but I had an agreement with my dad when I made the decision to go to Chicago that he would help finance my uh, college if he would give me four years and after those four years um, end, I'm not allowed to come back. So after I graduated, I came back to my parents' place, stayed there for less than a month and then moved to LA. No job, I didn't know anyone. My cousin lived here. He was kind of the only person I knew. And a completely new city. Now, was, what was the what was the LA impetus? I mean, you could have, you were in Chicago. You could have gone mm-hmm. San Francisco, New York, or yeah, you know, it just seemed like everybody was going to New York. And I I would say that I'm a pretty my decisions are kind of made in a logical sense. So it just felt like a lot the the New York scene was very big. It had a lot of heavy hitters. It just seemed like a lot of competition that I was not ready for. And the Bay Area was growing to be the tech giant that it is. So it didn't seem like a very uh, conducive environment for me to be as a creative. 
Yeah. Especially because even though I grew up in the Bay Area, I, I knew nothing about the creative scene out there. I was too young to kind of understand um, kind of music or art or even ha- understand the impacts it has in kind of a social level. So LA was just it's close enough to home where if all fails, I can still drive home or I can visit home. And it also seems spread out enough where I would be able to find a place and sustain myself without kind of burning out in a year or two. Yeah. So how'd you do it? When you just moved, found a place, got a yeah, job? So, like how? Yeah, my first apartment was off Crenshaw, which is not the best place to live i would people would rat, rattle that i had these ca- like bars in front of my window and i was the first apartment apartment 101 so my apartment is right next to the sidewalk i would hear people rattling my those <laughs> bars and i would hear gunshots and like people talking outside my door i sp- try to spend as maybe that's why i'm a hermit now <laughs> i spent so much time i just again that that mindset in college continued into la I, I was thinking, I don't know anyone. I don't have a job. Like, I, at the time, I was like, ah, this art practice is little to nothing. So I need to do as much as I can to to put something out there. So I actually threw out my mattress in bed because I needed more space uh, for my paintings. So I slept in a sleeping bag for about six months. And I was just painting, painting. And eventually, I got a job at an art store in North Hollywood. Mm-hmm. A solid $9 an hour. Boom, you're set. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough, though. I, how did, I had to drive from Mid-City to North Hollywood, which is a good hour if when you're hitting traffic. And then luckily, I got a job at a architecture school. And while it's not kind of directly influencing my work you get to sit in a lot of conversations that are similar to a, like a painting practice where they, they also had crits. They were kind of talking about the same formal elements of, you know, color, composition, structure. So that I think was enough of a kind of environment where I was able to kind of hone my practice and I was still painting through having this job. Um, and then I, eventually I moved to Koreatown, kept painting, kept painting. And then I would say three years ago, I moved to this location. But about the three-year mark was when I, I would personally say I, I started feeling confident about my work or had some sense of I'm making kind of very directed, very intentional decisions. And I know to a certain extent what those decisions are doing for the viewer. And... Yeah, now it's kind of figuring out as many types of work I can make. Well, the the so the kind of stuff that you're doing now, which is, you know, like it, there's, I would imagine there's some specific influences as far as, like, I mean, mm-hmm. general and specific influences, but I mean, how did you sort of come to that kind of merging? I mean, there's kind of this semi- organic cubist breaking up of space and you know but it's not and there's a design yeah. element to it like it right. reminds me of like people like Minari and you know like mm, yeah sort of yeah. like some design work but it's not too de- I don't know there's right. there's you know there's I'm definitely sitting on the there. fence yeah yeah I think when I was 
so when I first moved to LA, I was banking on uh, a familiar subject matter that I was working with in college, which was my family. Um, it wasn't really investigating anything deep or I would say relatively interesting, but I was really painting my events from my childhood. I was painting my family members, my parents. I was painting my brother, which kind of is why the repeated figures started was because I was a twin brother. And oh, I yeah. I thought it would be interesting to kind of bring this representation of two figures to the extreme where they look exactly the same. And our, the difference would just be a shade lighter or a shade darker. Yeah. The doppelganger. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's almost like seeing double, and you right. do, I feel like you have a lot of reverberating, mm-hmm. not just figures, but whether it's like slivers of light or windows mm-hmm. or doorways, or there's this kind of reverberating yeah. formal so from, structure. Yeah, so from that kind of duality, I, by me being more familiar with uh, laying it out, uh, the two figures next to each other more successfully kind of these moments where a light comes in through a door but I would treat it as kind of a formal rectangular shape I, I was treating everything at, with equal in, attention um, which is kind of what I hope to do in a lot of my work most of the time that I spend even before I paint like the, the whole process I would say 90% of it is drawing I spend a lot of time like laying things out and I think this is the the intensity from doing technical work of realistic work kind of finds itself in my paintings is I certain points have to meet exactly exactly at this millimeter by millimeter point and if it's off by any slight angle I'm gonna miss it and I I want those moments to be there so that it removes the sense of depth and everything kind of becomes more abstract the shapes kind of come out more and it becomes a bigger focus on the color decisions. Those the drawings that you're doing are they like traditional graphite or using the computer at all, or how do you do it? Yeah, I, I usually start with a, a semi traditional figure drawing. Like I'll see someone on the street, or I'll see a photograph, or I'll just draw from memory the figure, and from the figure, it's kind of consolidated into a, uh, a more minimal shapes and I kind of find shapes that can exist in other objects or motifs within the painting or ways to draw the figure that you can still recognize that it's a head or an arm but be able to portray it in a way that it can kind of vibe with say the lamp next to it because it shares the same angle and it shares the same general form that you kind of lose that instant recognition of that's a person next to a lamp and this light is coming through the door everything is kind of received equally to a certain extent yeah it's funny because the um i mean there's some slight visual connections that i could make but it wouldn't jump out me at me Mm -hmm. without talking about it but when you mentioned no gucci there's a lot of sort of organic curves Mm-hmm. sort of shapes of like circle it's a lot to do with light yeah. you know and structure but then abstraction at the same time so I can definitely mm-hmm. see how his work would be an influence yeah I, I do spend a lot of time letting drawings or paintings sit I'll let, let's say I do a drawing and it's come to like the quote unquote final drawing I'll still let it sit and kind of 
let certain things come out to me or sometimes some things don't come out to me when I intend them to. Just to work through the drawing, spend a lot of time setting things compositionally so that these very minor events, can I can figure out how to bring them out or let them kind of settle in my head so I can understand what's happening in my, very, in my paintings. Well, the, the scale of a lot of your work is, you know, runs from smaller to, mm-hmm. you know, medium to large or whatever, but it, you've all, also done some really large-scale uh, installations and, mm-hmm. you know, murals and stuff. How did that start? Uh, those kind of started organically. I, I think people just saw my work, and a couple of them were opportunities with some of my friends. I have some friends who are working in the architecture field, but I would treat, I kind of treat those slightly different in the sense that I approach them as site-specific work. Most of the time, I don't really get a wall that's kind of a perfect rectangle or square. So a lot of times I'm responding to, let's say, a staircase that's kind of right around the corner. I choose a lot of colors based on the environment that I'm painting in. Um, There's a a mural I did out in Santa Monica, and a lot of it was because it was in Santa Monica, which is a completely different environment as East L.A., and there was uh, Santa Monica City College was across the street, and so I wanted to definitely include a figure in it because there's going to be a lot of uh, foot traffic and a lot of students walking by. So kind of these nuances affect the decisions that I make, and it's working within those constraints and kind of rules that I give myself that I'm able to kind of figure out what would be the best painting. It's kind of like what we were talking about. When when you're limited to a certain extent, you almost figure the a greater thing that you can make because you're forced to work past those, yeah. those struggles. Yeah. Yeah. Has that, having that experience of blowing up the work and, and reacting to architectural sort of events in the space, so it's not a traditional, you know, rectangular mural have you thought about incorporating that into gallery like mm-hmm. working into the space as well as working on canvas yeah or I, panel? I think, i'm not sure which yeah <laughs> which i think uh, I, about two or three years ago maybe maybe three or four years ago i was working with a lot of canvases that were like either slanted or a lot of the sides would be made so that it would be extremely long or they would be a rhombus or a circle and that would kind of inform the decisions I make or how the figures were drawn or what I included or what shape a table is. Although I kind of strayed from that in my recent work, it's definitely been something I've been thinking about, about how to utilize the space that my paintings exist in and how I can better utilize the things outside of what are contained within the regular rectangular kind of boundaries that my paintings sit in yeah um are you working like right now are you just working on like what you're working on behind you like that sort of scale painting um this big one is like kind of a history of me in LA it's a really big painting I started if you kind of turn your head there's those figures are uh that cartoon character Shin Chan mm-hmm. um but that I never kind of got finished and I started a new layer never got finished started a new layer and they're kind of 
year separations between me trying to get back into the painting and I've never really finished this painting but the one next to it is kind of the most recent painting I just finished um, fig trying to figure out how I can combine my figure work with my non-figure work um, I kind of see them as two different entities right now but um, I've kind of wrote down things that are happening in my head to try to kind of make the two overlap Right, and well, who are some of the the people, the artists that you're most inspired by? I'm sure there's a ton, but you know, <laughs> the ones that jump out, you know, people you look at and, and really yeah, um, light your fire. I think subject matter-wise, I saw a show that uh, Yoshitomo Nara was in like four years ago, but it was one of the best shows I went to because... It was at Blum and Poe, and the second floor was just drawings he's done since, like, the 80s. So I think content-wise, I was most excited by that. And he was also dealing with kind of subject matter that I think I was addressing in my work as well, kind of a sense of nostalgia or um, kind of camaraderie with these childlike drawings he would do or childlike figures he had. Um, I would say the most recent person I've been looking at is Helen Lundeberg she had a sh- there's a gallery that was showing her work I forget the name of her gallery but it's the first time I got to see her work in person and I've, I've definitely been kind of studying the architectural side to her paintings um, they, they feel very much like I wouldn't say color studies but they, they are color blocks that in as a whole they function as kind of an interior space and a lot of the times when I do my non-figural work it's the similar approach that I utilize myself yeah yeah um do you do a lot of travel I mean I know you mentioned you went to Japan (laughs) but not a lot of travel no um I'm definitely someone who prefers to paint sounds so corny but I prefer to paint over traveling it's just very hard for me to kind of settle my nerves when I'm not in a place where I can immediately access my work which is why I have a home studio I don't want to be in a situation where I have the urge or I have kind of a light bulb moment and I can't access my work or it's too late or there's X number of reasons why I can't immediately start working yeah. Oh, maybe you should have stayed in Crenshaw. Might never leave the. Might never leave. How do you get your yeah. paint? <laughs> yeah, I would make a brisk walk to my car. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's crazy. I mean, that is, you know, I don't know. The only thing touch point I have to that is like you know, boys in the hood and stuff like that. It just seems like it's yeah kind of a rough area to get your start. Yeah, I mean. Definitely heard some names called at me, but I kind of understand that I was the outsider in the neighborhood. (laughs) But it seems like... Sorry, sorry. Uh, It just seems like a lot of kind of life events have kind of shaped how I've made my decisions. I know I was mentioning my non-figure work, and I feel like I have to explain when I... I I think it was two, three years now, three years ago, I almost all the ligaments in my knee playing basketball 
And so I was, I couldn't walk for a month. My mom had to come down because I couldn't, like just going to my bed was a whole trip in itself. So I was trying to paint. I was like, I can't stop painting. I need, I need to be productive with my time. And so I, I wouldn't be seeing anyone. And I would be, my room was the environment I was living in for a month. So I just started painting like the window, the door, and eventually that formed itself into the work. Yeah. into a whole body of work that I have now which have a life of its own I think outside of the figural work or the work that is figure centric right what did you just land off like did you dunk and you landed off the dunk <laughs> no, I and wish I could dunk. I don't think I have any any business being involved in that <laughs> that's not I the story play. you tell <laughs> no <laughs> like I slammed I dunked it and I landed down yeah. after I broke the rim off and my knee just gave out it was just playing with friends, and it took a bad step, and it was, it was all bad. I waited three months to get surgery, which may or may not have been the best decision, but I guess in the long run, it paid off. I have this whole body of work that I'm really invested in, so... Everything happens for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. do you get to... Do you have extended family back home, back in Hong Kong? Yeah, so my dad's side... Most of my dad's side is in America now, specifically the Bay Area. Um, some are still in Macau. My mom's side, they're all, I think, yeah, almost all of them are still in Hong Kong. I actually just talked to her about the whole stuff in, happening in Hong Kong right now, right, what's like over there. Because yeah. I've, I've been many times, a good, I don't know, five to eight times. Most of the times I was too young to even remember, but to even think of... Hong Kong now, like as a 28-year-old, it's mind-blowing. I feel like I don't even know the city, even though I could tell you what it looks like, what it's like, what the weather's like. I, right. I, I feel like I'm still, there's still that distance between myself and where my family is from. Right. Yeah. Well, what do you have coming up? What's How can people check out your stuff, see it, you know, experience it? Yeah, I have uh, actually have a uh, I, I've been involving myself with a lot of kind of creative work that's outside of my painting practice mm-hmm. or my fine art work. I have a pop-up in San Francisco on September 14th. My friend's opening up her own Japanese tea cafe. Well, it doesn't have a, a store for right now, but I did some paintings for her. And I have a solo show at that gallery location next year, a full year from now. Yeah. But so I, it caught me at a little bit of bad timing. Two shows that I was in just ended. So. No, that's fine. And, well, and you're, you know, they can check out your stuff. You're on your website. Yeah, yeah, definitely check name, out my website. Right? I, I haven't set it up chronologically specifically so you can move from 2013 all the way to my work now. So you can see kind of the slow shifts that happen to what my paintings look like now. And you do social media? Yeah, I got my Instagram, Adrian Adrian Wong. I definitely tried to avoid falling into that Instagram trap. So I, I pretty much post only paintings. <laughs> yeah, it can, it can be a time suck, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I actively avoid that. Right. Well, hey, man, it was great talking to you. And, hey, thanks um, for the opportunity. And I, I hope to see you work. I mean, I hope to get out to L.A. at some point. I hope they get out to New York too. <laughs> but I, I'd love to see your work in New York too soon. Yeah, so yeah. Hopefully that. soon. I mean, things always come up very quickly. You know. Yeah. We're already at the last half of this year. 
for sure. All right. Well, thanks for taking out the time to talk. Awesome. Thank you. Cool.